We open the scriptures to 1 John chapter 2, and we will begin our reading at verse 15, halfway through the chapter, and read to the end of the chapter. This is one of the chapters in the scripture that speaks of the anointing of God's people. As members of Christ, as believers, as Christians. So 1 John 2, beginning at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Here we end our reading of the scriptures. On the basis of this passage and the entire word of God, we consider the instruction in the second question and answer of Lord's Day 12, question and answer 32. But why art thou called a Christian, because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of his anointing, that so I may confess his name, and present myself a living sacrifice of thanksgiving to him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with him eternally. Over all creatures. 
Beloved in the Lord, the first portion of this Lord's Day has explained to us the second important name of our mediator, Christ. And you recall that the name Christ given to Jesus our Savior is his title of office. That name Christ literally means anointed one. And this name designates Jesus as the mediator of the covenant, as the one that God has ordained and sent into the world to accomplish the work revealed in the name Jesus, Jehovah's salvation. And Jesus accomplishes Jehovah's salvation by carrying out the work of the Christ, the work of the mediator, which has three main aspects to it. The office of mediator is one office with three aspects, prophet, priest, and king. As our chief prophet, Jesus reveals to us God's eternal plan for our salvation. As our priest, he offers the one perfect sacrifice that accomplishes that salvation, obtains all blessings for us. And as our eternal king, The Lord Jesus Christ applies the blessings he has obtained as our priest, imparts them to us, and then preserves us in that salvation which he has accomplished for us, fighting a good warfare on our behalf to defend and to preserve us from our enemies until the day of his return and final victory when he shall gather us into his kingdom to reign with him forever. But now, the second question and answer of Lord's Day 12 introduces a very important concept that is connected with the office of Christ. And this important concept is the office of the believer. Every believing child of God holds an office. The most fundamental office there is. That office that we looked at last time we considered the catechism. That office with which God created Adam and Eve in the beginning. The office of prophet, priest, and king. The office that was lost when mankind fell into sin, but an office which is restored to us through the redemptive work of Christ. One of the wonderful fruits of Christ's saving work is that he puts us back into office. He confers upon us a new identity and a new office which can go by the name Christian. Christ saves us to be his Christians. Yes, we know from the book of Acts that the name Christian was first given to the followers of Jesus in the city of Antioch, and it was originally a derogatory term that unbelievers used to mock God's people, and yet nonetheless that was providentially arranged by God that his people would come to be identified with this name, Christian. His people suffer for the Christ who suffered for them. They bear reproach. For the Christ who was reproached for them. And that name Christian, though originally given by mocking unbelievers, is a beautiful name that God has given to his people. A name which expresses our calling in this life. As those redeemed by Christ the Anointed One, we are now anointed servants of God called to carry out the work of Christians in this world. We 
are made prophets, priests, and kings under Christ. Christ is the anointed one. And through his work, he has anointed us to be his prophets, priests, and kings in the world. This is a fitting question and answer of the catechism to consider tonight on the occasion of an applicatory service. And that for one main reason. We came to the Lord's Supper this morning and the Lord's Supper set before us visually for our senses. It set before us a visible word of the gospel showing and declaring to us the work of the Christ, of our prophet, priest, and king, and what it has accomplished for us. And this sacrament was a means of grace to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our assurance, and to strengthen us for going forward to be Christians, to live in the world as Christians, to carry out the office that we have been given as a fruit of Jesus completing the work of his office as the Christ. The Lord's Supper has refreshed us and strengthened us to go forth being Christians in the world. Refreshed us so that we may take our calling to be prophets, priests, and kings. Carry it out tomorrow, next day, the next day, in every part of our lives. So that's going to be our focus tonight as we complete Lord's Day 12 of the Catechism. We're going to look at the office of believer with our title, Christian. And we're going to see how the Lord's Supper has refreshed and strengthened us and directs us in the carrying out of that work we've been given as Christians. And so our theme tonight is simply Christian. That's our title of office as believers, Christian. A Christian is a prophet, a Christian is a priest, a Christian is a king, all under Christ. The saving work of Jesus Christ restores to us the image of God that was completely lost when mankind fell into sin. And as we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ, we are also restored to the office with which man was originally created. And now in the New Testament age, we refer to that as the office of believer. As believers, as those who are made by faith partakers of Jesus Christ, we are his friend servants, and we have work to do in his service. Let's start by looking at the Christian's anointing spoken of in 1 John 2, particularly verses 20 and 27, that we read a moment ago. In 1 John 2, verse 20, we read, Ye have an unction from the Holy One. And that word unction is anointing. We have an anointing from God, and ye know all things. The idea is because of this anointing, we have been given knowledge, true knowledge of God and wisdom from his word. And then in verse 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Christ's work for us has brought to us an anointing that abides in us. Christ's work has put us in a position. 
Remember, that's what anointing is. Anointing, that Old Testament ceremony, was a ceremony used in the ordination of a person to an office, prophet, priest, or king. Christ's work for us has brought about our ordination into the office of believer. We are Christians, his anointed ones. Now, what exactly is that anointing? Well, just like Christ's anointing, our anointing is not a physical anointing with oil. But like Christ's anointing, our anointing is a spiritual anointing with the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus, when he came into the world and took on our flesh, at the beginning of his public ministry, he was anointed with the Spirit without measure when he was baptized and the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. Likewise, we as God's people are anointed with the Spirit of Christ. Christ sends the Spirit to dwell in our hearts, and the Spirit who indwells the child of God qualifies, equips, empowers the believer to carry out the work of a prophet, priest, king in the world. And so we see then that this anointing of the believer is not something independent from Christ, but is an anointing that comes to us through our union with Christ. The Holy Spirit powerfully unites us to Jesus Christ, engrafts us into him, so that we become members of his body. And it is as members of his body that we receive this anointing. The anointing oil that came upon our head flows from the head down to the body in all of the members of his body. By virtue of our union with Christ, we receive an unction of the Holy One, an anointing of the Spirit. As members of Christ, we become anointed Christians with an office and a work that mirrors and is a response to the work He has done for us. Now this anointing of the believer is an anointing that goes all the way back to Pentecost. Remember the historical event of Pentecost. There, the whole church was anointed with the Holy Spirit. There, the whole church received the unction of the Holy One, so that the church knew all things, as 1 John 2.20 says. And you see that. You let your mind rehearse that history in Acts chapter 2. How not very long ago, the disciples were in confusion. The disciples were lost in doubt, in unbelief. The disciples didn't understand, but then on the day of Pentecost, the ascended Christ poured out his Spirit, anointed the 120 disciples in the upper room, anointed them with the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, speaking of the wonderful works of God. And Peter stood up and he preached that marvelous Pentecost sermon that displayed a depth of understanding of the scriptures that he did not have before? What happened? What happened on Pentecost? They received an unction from the Holy One that they might know all things. Pentecost was the church's anointing. And from Pentecost on, God's people have had this unction from the Holy One. And personally then, as individuals, we receive this unction when the Holy Spirit first unites us to Jesus Christ and regenerates us and gives us the new life of Christ. There is our receiving of an unction, of an anointing of the Holy One. 
And when the Spirit brings us to conscious faith, it is then that we are brought to conscious awareness of this anointing. That we've been made something new by the marvelous work of the Spirit of Christ. A Christian. An anointed one. With a new identity. Called to a new kind of life. And given a special work in this world to be a prophet, priest, and king. Christ makes Christians. The only kind of Christian there is, is one that Christ has made. Christians are not people who choose to be Christians of their own power and free will. Christians are not those who are simply attracted to a particular kind of lifestyle or an ancient philosophy. Christians are Christ-made. Christ, who redeems his people, gives them the unction of his spirit and puts them into office as prophet, priests, and kings under him. That's the teaching of the catechism based upon the scriptures. What a wonderful truth that is. We're Christians, and we're so used to saying that, that sometimes the wonderful meaning of that name, that title that we have can be be lost on us or forgotten. When we say we are Christians, we're saying we're partakers of Christ. We have an unction of the Holy One. We have been conformed to the image of our Savior, and we've been given an office, the office of believer. We're prophets, priests, and kings under Christ, called to confess our Lord, to offer ourselves as sacrifices of praise to Him, and to govern our lives by His Word as kings. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful fruit of God's grace it is to be a Christian. So now understanding that basic meaning of the name Christian, we can turn in the rest of the sermon to focus one at a time on the three aspects of Christian, which mirror the three aspects of Christ's office. In the first place then, the Christian is anointed as a prophet under Christ. This unction of the Holy One qualifies, equips, empowers us to be prophets. Remember from our last sermon on Lord's Day 12 what a prophet is. A prophet is simply one who receives God's word, internalizes God's word, but doesn't keep it there. But that word that he has internalized, he then speaks to others. He brings to others. He can't keep it inside. The word is as a fire in his bones and he must Speak that word. That's what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a receiver, a believer, a steward, a speaker of the word of God, the substance of which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So in the first place, to be a Christian, you and I say, I'm a Christian. What we're saying is, I'm a hearer and a believer of the Word of God. The Christian hears. The Christian, like Mary, loves nothing better than to sit at the feet of Christ 
the chief prophet and teacher, and hear all his or her life long, hear that word more and more in every way that the chief prophet and teacher is pleased to send that word to me in the Holy Scriptures, in the reading of the Scriptures on my own, in the hearing of the proclamation of the Gospel, hearing that word, taking it in because it is the food for my soul. Prophet hears and he believes the word That he receives. What a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian. In this world we have different vocations. We have different stations. We have different callings. Don't we? You might be a doctor. You might be a construction worker. You might be a teacher. And there's a certain title. That comes with that occupation. And with that occupation. You have to hear things. You have to learn. You have to grow in knowledge. And as you go through your career in that field. You grow in knowledge. As Christians. Part of our office. In this life. Is to hear God's word. And to learn God's word. And to get to know God more and more. Is there anything more wonderful than that? To be a Christian. Is to be a learner. Of the one true and living God. It is to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. Spiritually minded Christian prophet is one who is always hungry for the word. Is that you? Is that me? Do we love to sit at the feet of Christ? Or are there many other things we'd rather be doing? A prophet hears, hears the word. He hears the word and then he speaks the word. And that's especially the Aspect of our office that the catechism highlights. We are partakers of Christ's anointing. That so I may confess his name. There are many things that we as God's people talk about. There's much talking we engage in in this life. Much necessary speaking. This is the most important speaking any of us can engage in. Confessing the name of Christ. That means confessing, professing, declaring that Jesus is Lord and Savior. My Savior, my Lord. And telling others about this Jesus who is Savior and Lord. Just as an Old Testament prophet was sent by God with a word to proclaim. So too the Christian who bears the name of Christ is sent into the world carrying that name. To speak that name. The blessed name of Jesus Christ. To tell of what Jesus Christ has done for my soul. Who he is. To declare his wondrous works among the people who among whom we live, and whose paths we cross, and who cross our paths, confessing Jesus is Lord and Savior. Speak the word. As Christians, sometimes we forget the power That God has given us to understand the scriptures, 
to speak the word of the scriptures, to apply the scriptures to our own lives, to our families, to our friends, to others. Part of our calling as believers is to be prophets, to bring the word to one another, to minister to one another, to bring a word to the struggling, to the fellow saint who needs comfort. So easily we feel ourselves to be inadequate for this. That's the pastor's job or that's an elder's job. And, And true that is, God has put special offices in the church and given them a particular calling to minister the word. But that doesn't take away from the reality, beloved, that we're all prophets. We all have an unction of the Holy One so that we know. We know all things. That doesn't mean we have infinite knowledge, but it means we have a real spiritual knowledge and understanding of the scriptures and we are able to read and understand and apply. Don't think that you're inadequate for that. Hear the word. Speak the word. Bring the word to one another. The Spirit uses that. It's part of what it is to be a Christian. And so in every dimension of life, in your marriage, as you parent your children, as you live with your extended family, as you spend time with your friends, as you go in and out among the body of Christ, as you serve in the church, as you go to work, as you travel, as you do all of these things, you do them as Christian, as a prophet, confessing the name of Christ as Lord and Savior. That's our calling. It's prophets. Under Jesus Christ. What a beautiful identity we have. As Christians. What a beautiful work. No matter what. Your earthly job may be. Your earthly vocation. Whether people think it's high or lowly. Significant or insignificant. You have this. You're an anointed. Servant. of Christ. Called to be a prophet. And that gives to each of us the most meaningful and satisfying work we could ever ask for. Hearing Christ. Learning Christ. Meditating upon Christ. Confessing Christ. Bringing and ministering the word of Christ to one another. And the Lord's Supper The Lord's Supper strengthens us and directs us for the carrying out of that prophetic work. Because the Lord's Supper set before us, showed us, let us taste the heart, the beating heart of the word that we hear and the word that we're called to speak. Christ and Him crucified. What a message we have. What a message we have to live by in our marriages. What a message we have to teach our children. What a message we have to live out in our families. What a message we have to share with our co-workers. To share with our friends. What a message we have to apply to those in our lives who are in need of comfort or strengthening or help or encouragement or admonition. This message. The message we saw this morning. Christ. Him crucified. Christian is a prophet. But now in the second place tonight, a Christian is also a priest. 
Christ was anointed to a threefold office, and as partakers of his anointing, we are two. We are not just prophets under Christ, but we are priests under Christ. Remember that a priest is one who is consecrated, that is, separated from sin and devoted to God. Jesus, our only high priest, was the perfectly consecrated one. But now, as a fruit of the finished work of Jesus Christ, our high priest, we are now separated from sin and consecrated to God. And we are invested with a priestly office. Meaning, in all of life, we are called more and more from the heart, out of faith and with a fervent love, to devote our being, our whole being, To Jesus Christ our Savior. And God our Father. Priest. Consecrates himself to God. And consecrates others to God through the offering of sacrifices. And through the offering of prayers. Jesus. Our only high priest. Consecrated us to God. Through the offering of himself, the Lamb of God, he made that one perfect sacrifice that atoned for sin. And he is our effectual intercessor at God's right hand. Now, we are his priests, called to offer sacrifices too. But sacrifices of a different sort. Not sacrifices for sin. To pay for sin. But sacrifices of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Our priestly calling. Is to be the fruit and response. To his finished priestly work. His one sacrifice for sin. Has given us now. The glorious privilege. Of offering sacrifices of thanksgiving. For our salvation. That's how the catechism summarizes the Christian's life and work as priest under Christ. After the part that we just read, and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. That's the Christian's work as priest in a nutshell. Presenting myself as a living sacrifice of thanks to him. And notice how that mirrors Jesus' work as priest. Jesus, our high priest, was both the priest and the sacrifice. He offered himself to pay for our sins, to reconcile us to God, and to earn for us our place in God's fellowship forevermore. And now as the redeemed, as those who have been rescued from our sins through the work of our high priest, we now are priests called to devote ourselves to God by offering ourselves to him. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices of thanks. That language is taken from Romans 1, or rather Romans 12 verse 1, where the apostle exhorts the Roman Christians, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
living sacrifices. How do we show our thankfulness to God? How do we offer ourselves? By dying to self. Not to pay for our sins. But because they have been paid for, and because we have been redeemed from them, we die to self as an expression of our thanks for his glory. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices means dying to our sins and our old way of life, and drawing from the new life of Christ within us, living unto him, walking in his ways, serving him, devoting our hearts, our lives, our whole being to him. We belong to our high priest, body and soul. And as priests under Christ, we want to yield ourselves up, give ourselves up unto him wholly and completely. What a beautiful way of looking at the Christian life. A life Joyful devotion to God and giving ourselves to Him. A living sacrifice. An idea of a living sacrifice also implies then a continuous, a daily sacrifice. My whole life. This is who I am. This is how I live now. For God. For God. Find this idea expressed in Psalm 116, verse 17. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Connect it to the Lord's Supper. As we go out into a new week to be Christians. Called to devote ourselves to God, to forsake our sin, to walk in newness of life, to mirror and to reflect Jesus Christ and all of his beauty and his glory. Look at what your high priest did for you. You saw it, you tasted it, you heard it in the gospel and in the Lord's Supper this morning. There is the work of our high priest. Don't you want to thank him? Not just just with words, but with very deeds, with the devotion of your whole being. All that I am, I owe to thee for what thou hast done for me. Being a Christian priest is a joyful thing indeed. So a few concrete ways in which we carry out the work of priest as Christians. Four things. Repentance, worship, prayer, and service. The Christian priest offers himself or herself as a living sacrifice by daily repenting of sins. There's the dying to self. There's The dying to the lusts of the flesh that are so appealing. The lusts of the flesh. The pride of life as 1 John 2 speaks about it. 
Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Secondly, worship. The Christian priest offers himself or herself as a living sacrifice of thanks by worshiping God. You think of the priests in the Old Testament, how they led Israel in joyful worship, in worship that was in spirit and in truth, and that's our calling and work, to worship, not just here in church on Sunday, though that is an important part of our life of worship, and you might say the climax of our worship, but in all of life. For the Christian, all of life is to be an act of worship. Being a priest is not a hat that we put on for a short period of time and then we take it off again. But being a priest called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices of thanks, that's our identity now. We have that anointing of the Spirit. This is who we are. And so we're to worship God in all things. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, By Him, that is by Christ, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Thirdly, prayer. The priests prayed for God's people. Jesus Christ is the perfect man of prayer who liveth ever to make intercession for us. And now through Jesus Christ, we as God's people are able to approach God unhindered in prayer. And that prayer, as our catechism says later on, is the chief part of thankfulness. That's part of our priestly ministry. To pray without ceasing. To pray thankfully without ceasing for this sacrifice of our high priest. To pray without ceasing for the needs that we have in the midst of this world. To pray for one another. We are intercessors. Let's never discount that. We recognize that. In fact, it's so ingrained in our thinking that when we're talking with a friend or a family member or a church member or a co-worker who's going through a hard time, how quickly we say, I'm praying for you. And that's a right and good thing to say, but let's mean it. And let's actually do it. And let's not doubt that when we do it, it's a means God uses for the good and the upbuilding of that brother or sister. That's part of the blessed work we've been given as priests under Christ to pray and intercede for one another. Thus the psalmist says in Psalm 141 verse 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as evening sacrifice. Lastly, service. The Christian priest offers himself or herself as a living sacrifice of thanks to God by giving himself or herself, to the service of God and to the service of God's people. The priests in the Old Testament were servants of God's people. They represented God's people before God. They ministered to God's people. And we as priests are called to be servants to one another who wash one another's feet. 
Hebrews 13 verse 16 says, But to do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now lastly this evening, King, King. Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. And he makes us prophets, priests, and kings under him. Christians are anointed as kings. Not earthly kings, because Jesus, the king, is not an earthly king. And so being a king under Christ doesn't mean we're going to get rich. Or that we're going to have great power and authority over other people. That's the kind of kingship the Gentiles yearn for. That's the kind of kingship that appeals to the flesh. But to be a king under Jesus Christ is to be rich with true riches. The riches that our king has won for us. The riches displayed for us in the Lord's Supper this morning. The riches of the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation. Union with the Son of God. Fellowship with the Father. The blessings of having all things work together for our good. The blessing of being never separated from the love of our God. Those are true riches. Those are the riches kings under Christ. As kings under Christ, we're called to a spiritual rule and a spiritual warfare. That spiritual rule... Is the rule of governing ourselves according to the word of God. And fighting the good fight of faith against our spiritual enemies. That's how our question and answer here concludes. And also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life. And afterwards reign with him, that is Christ, eternally. Over all creatures. The catechism here especially puts the emphasis on the fighting aspect of a king's calling. A king is one that God put in authority to govern his people and to fight on behalf of his people to defend and protect and preserve them from their enemies. We as kings under Christ are called to a good spiritual warfare. We have an unction of the Holy One. We have been translated out of darkness into God's marvelous light and into the kingdom of His dear Son. And that saving work of God puts us on a battlefield. Puts us into the thick of fierce warfare. Because that saving work of God Makes our former friends our enemies. Apart from grace. Satan was our friend. He's a cruel tyrant. We were his slaves. But he was our friend tyrant. Ever since the fall. Mankind has been allied to Satan. And the wicked world. The kingdom of darkness. Those were our friends. The old man. That's who I was. Then grace came. Christ the King conquered me. Redemptively conquered me. And my old friends 
have become my fierce enemies. And I see that they never really were friends. Satan, that tyrant, now seeks my destruction. My sinful flesh, I have to wrestle with day by day. That old man who's been dethroned wants to climb back on the throne in my life. And the wicked world that is under the power of the devil bears its teeth and draws its sword to fight against me. To be a Christian is to be a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ called to a spiritual warfare with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Lord's Supper this morning strengthened us for that warfare. As we go into a new week, we're going out into the battlefield with marching orders and battle orders from Christ our King. We're going to cross swords with Satan. We're going to face his innumerable multitudes. We're going to face temptation. We're going to wrestle the monster of our sin within. We're going to battle. The Lord's Supper showed us that we go with a free and good conscience, the Catechism says. And that's so very important. If we didn't have that free and good conscience, we'd go to battle in the chains of guilt. That free and good conscience means we go knowing that we are forgiven, that our sins are covered in the blood of Christ, and that we belong to Him, and that He is ours and we are His, and that He fights for us, and therefore we fight in the victory. Without that, we could not prevail. We could not stand for a moment. The Lord's Supper, which is pressed upon our hearts, forgiveness of sins, strengthens us to take up arms once again, to march out into the battlefield in a new week, to fight that good fight of faith. Faithfully following the captain of our salvation. You can. You have an unction of the Holy One. Not that you ever fight in your own strength. You can't stand in your own strength. You fight through Christ who strengthens you. We are more than conquerors through Him who conquered by the cross. The Lord's Supper shows that. And so Christian people go forth. This is who you are. Prophet, priest, and a king. Confess the name of your Lord and Savior. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice of thanks to Him daily. Fight the good fight of faith with a clear and good conscience, knowing the forgiveness of your sins and the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. Go. Be a Christian this week. Amen. Our faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the marvelous truth of what it is to be a Christian. May this truth thrill our hearts. And may we, with renewed zeal, dedicate ourselves to the faithful discharge of our office of believer in every area of our lives. Strengthen us by thy Spirit because we have no strength of ourselves.
Grant that the Holy Supper celebrated this morning may be that spiritual food which strengthens us for our work as prophets, priests, and kings. To the glory of thy name, to the edification of thy church, and the good of our neighbor. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.